All right, everybody, if you can go ahead and grab your seats, make sure that you've got a growth guide. If you need a pen, they're in the cups along the side. And also just a reminder, whether you're here on site or if you are watching online, we would love for you to check in. This is the way that we keep in touch with you, and it's the way that we submit prayer requests, and it's the way that we indicate next steps. So if you're here on site, you'll find a check-in card in your growth guide. If you are watching live or later, you can go to our church center app, or you can text the word here to our church number, 603-225-2550. So as mentioned, we are in a series called Praxis, and Praxis is all about the habits that we have as followers of Jesus. The word means a course of action or a way of acting. It, though I've described it, and I'm pretty sure I borrowed this phrase from somewhere, as, as the rhythms of grace, the rhythms of grace that we have as followers of Jesus. Here at Cornerstone, we exist to inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, and this whole series is heavy on the equip side of the equation. Um, we've short-handed uh, what following Jesus looks like based on Jesus' model when he was walking the earth uh, of knowing God, growing together, and going and making a difference. So over the course of this series, we'll be looking at different practices that tie in to each of these things. And we have been looking at the practices that go along with knowing God, that we commune with God. We get to know him better on a regular basis. So uh, there are next steps and there are core practices that go with each of these. So you see up here, know God. And it's all about saying yes. That's our shorthand for what it means to first start following Jesus and then to continue walking with him. And the core practice that we've been encouraging is life journaling, which is a specific way of doing our quiet time or daily devotional habit. And then we've also been talking about the other next step practice of worship, which also fits under knowing God. And that core practice is to worship together weekly. And before we move on from these two next steps and core practices and this, this pattern of knowing God, there's one more practice that I wanted to slide in there. We have core practices, worshiping together weekly, having a, a daily devotional time, uh, but we've also talked about other things like prayer. And this is another one that I'm going to slide in that I think will be really helpful to you. And I want to start out by asking, um, asking this question of you. How are you in a crisis? How are you in a crisis? <laughs> Some of us, we really thrive in a crisis. Uh, it, there's something about it that makes us feel alive and we're more focused and we know exactly what to do and people look to us in a time of crisis. There are others not so much. We tend to freak out a little bit and we tend not to know exactly what to do and our stress level goes up and we're not exactly as helpful as we would like to be in a crisis. So how are you in a crisis and what kind of person would you like to have with you 
when you are in a crisis. Now, I'm not going to call any names. I'm not going to use specific examples, but I'm sure in your head, you know what kind of person you are in a crisis, and you know, uh, you, you, you can put names with faces for people that you would want right beside you when you're in a crisis, and people that you just assume go through things on your own rather than have them alongside of you because it wouldn't be helpful. So, when you face a crisis, are you going to be helpful or are you going to be detrimental? But see, the thing is that sometimes when we face a crisis, the most detrimental person to have with you is yourself. So, here's the question that's really the core question that we're going to look at today. How can I keep from sabotaging my life? How can I keep from sabotaging my life? Um, I absolutely hate, with a passion, car trouble. Anybody else relate to that? I hate not having a reliable car. I hate it when the engine light comes on. I, it's, it, I have a trauma response to that when that happens. Well, one time when we were driving all the way up the eastern seaboard, we, uh, the whole family was in the van. We were uh, pretty, pretty much uh, by this time, I think we, this was actually the trip when we went to see Brian graduate from uh, basic training. So this was a while ago. But we were in the bumper-to-bumper traffic between Washington, D.C. and Baltimore. I hate bumper-to-bumper traffic to begin with. I would rather spend extra time going around as long as I could keep moving. I don't care about the time. I just want to keep moving. I hate being in bumper-to-bumper traffic. And, of course, in the midst of that bumper-to-bumper traffic between Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, we started having car problems. And there was nowhere to go. I mean, you're, uh, you're, you're in the midst of all this traffic. It's bumper to bumper. Long story short, that engine light coming on and the car beginning to give us problems was the beginning of a multi-day odyssey that included pulling off to the side of the road on the highway, uh, eventually nursing the car to a Costco trying to figure out what we were going to do, getting it towed, my spending an entire day at a Chrysler dealership while the van was getting repaired, sort of, kind of. The rest of the family spending an entire day, eight hours or more, in a local McDonald's doing homeschooling and us spending a lot of money and a lot of extra time and a couple of nights in a hotel renting another van because they didn't, they weren't sure they had uh, confidence that it was truly fixed. And so we rented a van and followed our van back from there to New Hampshire. Did I mention that I hate car problems? I hate car problems. So this week, I had a flashback to that experience because we were coming back from visiting friends in southern Massachusetts. We had just gone through bumper-to-bumper traffic going into Boston. We finally got to the other side. We're coming out on the Zakem Bridge. And, of course, you give, give that kind of sigh of relief. I made it through the traffic. I made it through Boston. The traffic is beginning to clear up. And just about that time, guess what happened? the engine light came on. 
And in that moment, I had to decide how I was going to react to that crisis. Because I had pictures of being off the side of the road and everything that had happened before, and I did not want... And did I mention it's 120 degrees and 100% humidity, or that's what it felt like? And oh, did I also mention that there was no air conditioning in the van? Our air conditioner is broken. So it was just joy all around when I was, saw that engine light came on. And I had to decide in that moment how to respond to that. And this habit that we're talking about is gonna help you. The message is called playback. And what we're really talking about is our self-talk in the midst of a crisis. Because what if that person who is the least helpful in a crisis is actually living in your head? And so we want to, we want to get past that. Here's an overview of what we're going to say. You tell yourself the truth. That's the bottom line. You tell yourself the truth in that situation. Here are the things that we'll look at. Knowing the truth by studying God's word, embracing the truth. That is, you're going to make a conscious decision to embrace what you know is true. And then lastly, to speak the truth out loud. There's something about saying what you say you believe that really helps in a situation like that. And I'm going to ask something pretty radical of you for this coming week. And the way that I will challenge you to apply this message is to not lie to yourself for an entire week. To not lie to yourself for an entire week. So let's look at it together. We're going to look at two passages that will serve as illustrations for this. This is John chapter 8, verses 42 to 47, and Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 33. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, so you can follow along if you like. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 42. It's just a short passage. Jesus told them, If God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 33. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you'll have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. 
They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can any of you, can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. We pray that as we study it, that you would speak. You, the author, the Holy Spirit who inspired your word is here and present among us. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each individual here on site, watching, listening, online, that you would speak specifically to each one of us exactly what we need to hear from today and that you will show us exactly how to apply what we need to do with what we hear. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at this together. And these are kind of case studies in this idea of telling yourself the truth. That is the bottom line. First off, in order to tell yourself the truth, you have to know what the truth is. And this is how this ties into what we've been talking about with establishing a daily devotional. To know the truth, you're going to be studying God's word. That's how you know it. If you set aside a time where you are consistently reading and responding to God's word, then you are going to be filling your mind with the truth. So that when you need to call on the truth, there's something loaded in your gun. You have the ammunition that you need. As usual, we have the life journaling, First Steps Life Journaling bookmark, which has how you do life journaling and a reading plan that will focus you in on the easiest to understand and easiest to apply of the scriptures. It'll take you through a sampling of the entire Bible, and those are on the table in the back. Uh, and you can download them by going to cornerstonenh.org slash life journaling. But you have to know the truth. Now, most of, the, most of us, if I as a pastor were to get up and say to you, you should tell the truth, you would not think that surprising. You would not think that radical for me to say. I mean, it's, it's, it's base. It, it, it is baseline Christian teaching. It starts out in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 20. That's the Ten Commandments. I was reminded yesterday that... That, that what we call the law or the Ten Commandments, uh, a better translation is instruction. This is instruction that God gave us because he wanted to bless us, because he wanted our lives to go well. And so he tells us we must not testify falsely against your neighbor. That has the idea of not lying in court, but also just not telling falsehoods about others. Now, then we fast forward to Jesus in that passage that we just read. Look at what he says. 
for you are the children of your father, the devil. He's speaking to his opposition and they have been trying to uh, find an excuse to put him to death. They've been trying to catch him in a lie or something that they could accuse him of. And he says, you're, you're just like the enemy. Whenever you see in the scriptures, you're a child of, what that means is not necessarily like biological, of course. That means that you share the character of your father. So the reason that he's telling those people, you're, you're children of the devil, is because they shared these character traits with the enemy of your soul. And what, what is it? That you do those things that he does. You, you share his character. What does he point out? He, the enemy, was a murderer from the beginning. Now, think about this. What is Jesus talking about? We, if you go back to the story of Adam and Eve, they are told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if they eat of it, they will die. So, the enemy slips in, slithers in, and tells them they will not die. He lies to them. Why? Because he wants to kill them. He wants to murder them because what God said is true. You will die if you eat. So the enemy is trying to get them to believe a lie so that they will be dead. This is an insight into what is so truly evil about telling lies. Because what you are doing in most cases when you tell a lie is you are trying to control and manipulate somebody else by giving them a falsehood. You know, think of it, a kid, did you steal a cookie? No, I didn't steal a cookie. Why are they lying? Because they don't want, they want to control their parents and not experience the consequences of their behavior. And if they can get their parents to believe a lie, they will control and manipulate their parents and then they won't suffer the consequences. Whenever you're telling a lie, in most cases, it's because you're trying to control and manipulate, exert power over someone else. So that's what he's saying here. The, the, the enemy was a murderer from the beginning. That's, that was the whole point of what he was doing. It says, he goes on to say, Jesus, he always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Sometimes we don't take lying very seriously. Oh, it was just a little white lie. You know, it, was, it wasn't a big deal in the big scheme of things. Um, no. And I, this really helped me to take this very seriously. Because every time we're lying, we're sharing our character. We're sharing the character of the enemy. And we're trying to control and manipulate other people. But what is it? when we do that to ourselves. When we do that to ourselves, when we harm ourselves by telling the truth. So, so you've got to study, you've got to know the truth, then you will be able to identify the lie. Our first parents had the option, believe God, don't do that. You will die. And of course, we know the consequences of that were far beyond physical death. It's a spiritual death and a brokenness that exists in us and the world that we live in today. 
or they could believe God if they knew and remembered God's words, don't eat of that and knew God's character. He loved us. He created us. He wants what's best for us. They could have avoided that. And we can avoid a lot of problems if we will just know the truth, if we will study God's worth. So in order to tell yourself the truth, you have to know the truth. And we do that by studying God's word. Establish that habit of reading and responding to God's word. But also you've got to embrace it. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to embrace it. So in the midst of that situation where I was faced with the, with the engine light coming on and all the stresses that that uh, uh, brought up in me, I flash back to something that I had studied before that the Lord had spoken to me through. And that was that second passage that we read from Matthew chapter six in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's look at it again together, a little bit more in depth. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Uh, Two things. One, this is a command. This is Jesus telling his followers, do not worry. And I've said before, if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. What is worry? It's turning the same thing over and over in your mind. It's, it's figuring out worst case scenarios and thinking that through in a couple of different ways. You are, you are meditating on what could go wrong. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. So it's a command, but it also tells me that I have an option I have an option. It's a decision that I make in that moment whether to worry or not. So let's go on and continue. It says, don't worry about everyday life, uh, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Uh, isn't life more than food or your, and your body more than clothing? Uh, it's kind of like Jesus is saying, if you're my follower you got bigger fish to fry. You got, you got better things to worry, to, to be concerned with. I love the way the message translation puts it because it brings that out. It says, if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether your clothes are in your closet or in fashion. It's like, we just don't fuss about those things. We got more important things to think about. There are far more things to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. So, so that's good, but, but here are the two aspects of it that really stuck with me. Because Jesus says, you know, don't worry, which, you know, that's easier said than done. But he gives us reasons why, and he uses examples. He starts with the birds of the air. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, stuff that, the kinds of things that we all do, right? But birds don't do that. They, they don't build little barns. They don't, they don't plant or harvest for your, why don't they do that? For your heavenly father feeds them. Your heavenly father takes care of the birds of the air. And then he makes an analogy from lesser to greater. Birds. Your father feeds them. And aren't you, okay, aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? 
aren't you far more valuable? In other words, if the God of the universe is going to watch over and take care of the birds and make sure that they don't go hungry, how much more is he going to take care of you? So here's the first part of it. It's unnecessary. That's the truth that kind of struck me in this. Worry is unnecessary. And then he goes on and he adds another reason why we can not worry. It says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Uh, we know actually it probably works the other way around. The more that you worry, the more that you stress out, you're taking, you're taking minutes off of your life. You're not adding to your life. So not only is it unnecessary because your heavenly father is going to take care of you, it's also ineffective. It doesn't do anything to help you in the situation. So in the moment when I was tempted to be really stressed out about that engine light coming on and all the possibilities of being stranded on the side of the road with my family and expenses and inconvenience and the uncomfortableness of being out on, in the hot sun, I, ha I, I remembered this. All my worries are unnecessary my heavenly father is going to take care of me. I've been through this before. In a worst case, you know, I've, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. If it happens again, I'd rather not, but oh well. My worries are unnecessary and they're ineffective. My getting stressed out and freaking out about it was not going to make my engine get better. I would like it if that was the case. The stronger I worried, the more I freaked out about it, the better my car would run. But that's simply not the way it works. So I had to, in that moment, embrace the truth that I already knew. I'm not supposed to worry. And Jesus gave me good reasons not to worry. It's unnecessary and it's ineffective. And so to embrace that in the moment was a battle, but I knew the direction to head in. So I'm going to encourage you to tell the truth. In order to tell yourself the truth, you got to know the truth and you do that by constant exposure to God's word. But then you have to embrace the truth. When the moment comes, you have a decision to make and you embrace that truth. And part of that is that you can speak the truth out loud. You speak the truth out loud. Now, this is a really interesting passage. Um, I was familiar with it, but I didn't really look at it from this angle before. It's a very common passage. Some of you will be familiar with it. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10, it's talking about our salvation and the role that faith and our confession play in our salvation. And look at what, um, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that is the, the prime confession of faith. When a person, the way we describe it says yes to Jesus, what are they doing? They're saying yes to Jesus as savior, what he did on the cross. I want that to count for me. And saying yes to Jesus as Lord, that he's the boss. He's the one that gets to call the shots from this point on in my life. So, um, so that's saying yes. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Th these are just parallels. Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. That's the, those are key components of our faith confession. You will be saved. But look at what it says in the next verse. For it is with your heart 
that you believe and are justified. In other words, you can say things all day long, but if it's not the truth, if it's not truly what you believe, then that's not going to do it any good. So there's, there's a heart component to it as well. And it says, with your heart, you believe and are justified. What does that justified word mean? The, the old pe- preacher saw on that is it's just as if I'd never sinned. It, it's, your, it's your statement of guilt-free past. It's like Kent was talking about our salvation. He's declared us perfect. It's not that we were perfect. It's that he has attributed Jesus' perfection to us. We are justified. We are right in God's sight. So when we believe in Christ, there's something that happens on the inside and we're set. I mean, it'll take a little bit for it to work itself out, but we're set in God's eyes. We are safe, secure. We are part of his family. We're citizens in his kingdom. But then look at what it goes on to say. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, I, th- I thought that was interesting. We, we think of salvation as when I pray the prayer, when I get baptized, when I raise my hand, when I circle to say yes, whatever, whatever thing we do, that's our moment of salvation. But salvation is also a process where we are rescued from our sins. And we talk about salvation in both those ways. It's the justification that happens in the moment, but it's also the process by which we are, um, we are sanctified is the way most of the time we talk about it. But it says, if you process with your mouth, you profess your faith and are saved. In other words, there's something about saying it out loud of making that confession that is important. Now, this is not name it and claim it. If you just believe it hard enough, if you just say it often enough, it's going to be true. No, it's actually the flip of that. It's you start with the truth of God's word, what he says, you embrace it. And then as an act of faith, you proclaim it. You say, you repeat after God the truth that he has declared. And it seems to be there. there's something about that that's part of the process by which we are sanctified, by which we walk in the salvation that he has provided. So when I was in that moment and I'm thinking those things and trying to embrace the truth, uh, I started thinking through what are, what are some songs I know. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he answered me. I was thinking about all the Psalms that it's like these people were in the depths of despair and in true danger, they cried out to the Lord and he saves them and he rescued them. I thought about my past and the various ways that God has rescued me and intervened. And I just started thanking him for that and thinking in that and meditating on that. And you see the difference between that and worry. I, I started focusing in on the truth. If, if, the car breaks down the side of the road, I'm going to be okay. And it might not break down on the side of the road. And, and God is going to provide and he's going to watch out for me. And I, and I was embracing it. And even though, because I didn't want to freak out the people around me, uh, I didn't tell them that the engine light was on until we stopped at the Chick-fil-A in, in Salem. And then we dealt with it because there's no reason to add to their stress. But, but, but in my mind, I'm confessing these things. I'm thinking through these things. I'm embracing the truth truth. And you get it, right? There's a difference between name it and claim it and, oh, just believe and embracing the truth. Forget about that foolishness of name it and claim it. 
embrace the truth of what God has said. And then as I was studying for this, I, I, I flipped ahead to Revelation because I, I forget how I ran across this, but I think I thought of this. I was like, there's this phrase in Revelation, and, and this is the one I was thinking of. They triumphed over him. And who are the they? Those are followers of Jesus, believers in Jesus. Who's the him? The enemy of the soul. We're back to the devil and Satan again. It says they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. That's, that's um, the apocalyptic way of describing salvation in Christ through what he did on the cross. And so what Jesus did, and by the word of their testimony, when they told the story of Jesus and told the story of how he included them in his story, that's how they triumphed over the enemy. I thought that was pretty cool. Think about that. We'll come back to that in just a second as I close. But then I also think of this. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you embrace the truth, you're not just embracing a principle. You are embracing Jesus, the one who embodies the truth. So that's why I try in every message to give everybody listening, watching here, an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Say yes for the first time. Maybe you never realize, you know, it's like, I, you, it's a decision. You have to say yes to Jesus. I want what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. Died for the sins of the whole world. Great. I want that to count for me. And saying yes to Jesus as Lord. Make that confession. Jesus is Lord. And if you have never crossed the line of faith, that's time to embrace that truth. The truth who is Jesus. That's your first step. And we indicate that by double circling to say yes, or you can do it in the check-in. You can say yes on the text. However you do that, we'll celebrate with you and we will resource you so that you can walk with Jesus. So take that first next step. But then there's a step for all of us in this, isn't there? Uh, we're talking about self-talk. We've said we're gonna tell ourselves the truth. We've said that in order to tell yourself the truth, you gotta know the truth by studying God's word, figure out how to make that a regular part of your life. And then in the moment, embrace the truth, make a conscious decision. And then as part of that, you, you tell yourself and everybody around you, you speak the truth out loud. You repeat after God what he has said is true. Now, probably in some form or fashion, each of us is going to face some kind of crisis. Hopefully you're not going to be calling 911 again or you're not going to be stranded on the side of the road. But each of us has a moment in our lives where we decide to worry or not worry, to embrace the lies or to embrace and believe the truth. So I'm just asking you, when that moment comes, don't lie to yourself. What would that look like? Uh, when you face a situation that's difficult, you're not going to tell yourself, uh, I don't know if I can make this. I don't know how long I can, I, I can't take this anymore. I, 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 I just don't know. Why lie to yourself? If you have kids, you don't let them lie. You, you, you encourage them to tell the truth. But yet we tell ourselves lies all day long and never even notice it sometimes, let alone correct ourselves. So figure out in that moment, 
when you're faced with that temptation, decide, I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to say what I know to be true. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever faces me, I can, I, I can get best past it. He's, done, he's been faithful to me in the past. He will be faithful to me in the future. No matter what happens, I am in his hands. He is watching over me. Whatever I'm worried about, to worry about it would be unnecessary and ineffective anyway. So I'm not going to worry. And I'll close with this. Remember how I said we'd come back to the passage in Revelation? Uh, uh, this was really convicting and, and impactful to me. I'll give you the verses around that verse that we already looked at. Starts out by saying now. What's the now? This is Revelation. So this is the end of time. Everything, everything is uh, being made right. Uh, the way Tim Keller used to talk about is everything sad is coming untrue. I love that. And he says, now, what's now? What's happening now? Salvation, the full redemption, the power, God's power made manifest, the kingdom of our God, his rule and reign completely revealed, his kingdom, the only one remaining, and the authority of his Messiah. Jesus is calling the shots. And what happens on the other side of the line? For the accuser of our brothers, that's the way he's talking about the enemy, the devil, Satan. The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. The one who is constantly saying, you can't make it. You're broken. You're never going to, you can't, you're not pleasing God. You can't, you can't do this. That, that voice is being shut down turned off forever. And then the last verse, the one that we already looked at, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. In that moment, you have a choice. Will you be in league with the enemy? Will you accuse Christ's brothers and sisters, including the one that looks at you in the mirror? Or will you triumph over him by what Jesus did for you and by the word of your testimony, embracing the truth? That is my prayer for myself and for you this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word is full of amazing and liberating truths. And, and when we open our mouth, we want to be on your side. So show us, help us to realize the lies that we've been believing and embracing and speaking and shut those off and help us to know and embrace and speak your truth, to tell ourselves and those around us the truth about ourselves, the truth that you have showed us so that we might be free, so that we won't sabotage ourselves and we won't be in league with the enemy of our soul, but will instead accurately reflect the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week. 